Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is J.D. Koch. J.D. is the rector at St. Francis in the Fields Episcopal Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also a theologian. He did his doctorate in systematic theology at the University of Humboldt, dealing with issues of law and gospel as the boundary of theological reflection. I give you J.D. Koch. J.D., welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, thanks, Scott, for having me. It's great to be here with you. Now, excited about this. you are at St. Francis in the Fields in Louisville, Kentucky. How many people right. know it, how to say it the first time you talk with them? Like that? <laughs> well, I didn't know how to say it when I arrived. You know, when you arrive in the airplane, you can know if someone is from there or is, knows someone there because they either say Louisville or they pronounce it properly, which is Louisville. So you kind of you swallow the swallow the vowel right there in the beginning. When I my first visit to Louisville Theological Seminary, I remember I saw like they had the no smoking when like you know the the cigarette with the circle with the red line through it like I yeah, thought, sure. and then a no handgun one too. Oh my god! So <laughs> yeah. if we're packing heat in a library, that's very interesting. No, there's no question in our church in any given service there's three or four people who are. Uh, thankfully protecting uh, the congregation and me, uh, you know, uh, surreptitiously, I would say. Surreptitious We are good. We, yeah, that's right. We're in you know, Kentucky. I, when I arrived in Kentucky, my very first sermon, I said, well, I saw a, a um, billboard, or I saw a t-shirt, I should say, on the way here, and it says, God, guns, and bourbon, you call it a contradiction, we call it Kentucky. And I said, well, here we go. There, that's that's where we are. So I, I, it's I, been a great place. We we love it. We've, we've, we've enjoyed it. We've been there almost six years now. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful city. I'm into two of the three of those things strongly, God and bourbon. <laughs> Guns and, but I have uh, God and bourbon. Sounds good to me. So, so you, there you go. are you preaching this Sunday? I am preaching this Sunday. I'm excited about it. I'm we, excited about it. We got, we got three great readings here. Numbers yes. 21, right? I mean, how many, how many rectors, clergy people out there, you know, in, 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 congregations are using lecturing how many people you're going to think are hit are going to hit on numbers 21 well i don't the problem is you know the the gospel readings we'll get to is also um references it so i think it'll be oblique at the very least but i think that the you know the story is absolutely amazing i mean the israelites complaining um in the wilderness you know having been brought out of egypt and then this this rather bizarre story where these snakes are sent to um, you know, bite the people. <laughs> and then Moses erects this bronze serpent, raises it up and says, all who look upon this serpent uh, will be cleansed of their snake bites. And, you know, what's fascinating doing a little research for this is it became such a monumental moment in the Israelite history that if you read in Numbers, uh, um, I mean, sorry, Second Kings, when Hezekiah is sort of uh, getting rid of the um, idols in the temple, uh, one of them had been this bronze serpent that he was asked to destroy because evidently the people had been uh, offering sacrifices to it. So it certainly had a uh, lasting impression upon the people. And it's not surprising that we'll see Jesus reference um, and sort of put it in its proper perspective when he um, uh, speaks in John. But, yeah, it's a fascinating. Uh, you know, I think I think that the way that I'll use it is to tie it into 
Um, I try to tie all three readings together, generally speaking, just to help people see the uh, continuity of the Bible and sort of, as it were, kind of a indirect biblical theology, for lack of a better word, to try to show how these seemingly disparate narratives across time and space have actually been, um, you know, inspired and, and curated together to be one, one, one consistent message. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. Frederick Schleiermacher talks about sin as God forgetfulness. That basically yeah. what happens is, you know, your 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 God kind of your your the lower things of the world kind of choke out your the sense of the divine, and I, I you that's a great picture of sin here, right? Where the Israelites are like, oh, why did you bring us out? You know, to you know, you know, we we hate the food. Why'd you take us out yeah. of Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really know. it's really interesting. Howard Stern, whose parent, you know, he grew up Jewish, but grew up in this neighborhood in Long Island that really changed quickly and he was like we were like the last you know people that were in this kind of impoverished neighborhood and we were a minority you know it became a, a majority minority thing and my mother and father wouldn't leave i was getting my ass kicked every week because he's like my mother would have been the the people in egypt who is this moses that thinks he's gonna take us out of it no pharaoh no moses is gonna take me out of egypt <laughs> I love it. But, but, well i think that I'm sympathetic to that. I'm sympathetic to that description of sin because I think part of the, I mean, even Jesus in his institution of the Lord's Supper, I mean, this, you know, this, this great, this, um, phrase, you know, do this in remembrance of me, like be constantly reset, constantly, um, have your, um, sort of the tyranny of the urgent, which seems to overwhelm the, the sort of the fundamental relation that has been established by God, particularly with his people. And then by extension now us through Christ. And, you know, day by day, just the um, sort of accumulated, um, you know, realities of life that begin to, to um, you know, threaten to choke out um, the actual voice that we have heard and do hear and want to hear again. I mean, I think that's in, in a certain sense the role of a preacher. You know, I think it's the role of a, a preacher, not just not just from the sermon, but through if you consider the, the entirety of the church service to be essentially a form of, of communication, you know, to all five senses. I think that part of that is to sort of rest people back into the proper um, sort of worshipful position. And I think there's nothing, according to this story, there's nothing that, that like pain that, that will bring you back into your uh, relation to God. And I think that the, you know, that there's a certain similarity to that, even as we'll get to, to the gospel, in the sense that the, you know, the universal, the universal, um, sort of stance, as it were, for us is in light of our finitude, you know, the great questions that life brings up. And I think that the complaining about food in the middle of the desert, given all that had happened to them, uh, this was a rather dramatic and quite painful reminder of of exactly where their ultimate hope um, lies, you know. And I think that was a uh, clearly, it was so. It was such a, a, a formative event that it remained so up until the point where even Jesus references it in light of his own ultimate sacrifice um, for the sake of the world. And I think um, it's it's a it's a bizarre story, but it's one where I think when people, particularly in reference to Jesus's um, recollection of it. Uh, when they're given to see um, their own plight within the um, complaining, grumbling um, Israelites, then there's a certain aspect to it that can be seen as very um, cathartic. 
you know, because I think there's because there's certain I mean, I'm sympathetic in a certain sense. I mean, here you are, you get these guys out of Egypt and, you know, even despite these miracles, which, you know, we think we would just say, um, oh, gosh, you know, how could you possibly have turned left, right or the other after having seen these things? But if you if you realize even in your own life that there have been similar, you know, gifts given to us, you know, I mean, not the least of which the, the hope of redemption, you know, the promise of, of everlasting life, these wonderful, uh, the realities of mercy, the, 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 the promise of absolution, these amazing gifts that we often, um, just like the Israelites would turn and just start grumbling, you know, don't like the food. I don't like the, uh, I mean, of course, you know, self-servingly from a church perspective, you could start, you could really beat up some you could really say like, now who of you are grumbling about the carpet? Who's grumbling about the, uh, you know, the lighting, who's grumbling about this too hot in here is too cold. I mean, I, I don't think we'll necessarily go that direction, but I mean, you know, we'll let the Holy spirit convict where he, he will. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's interesting in, in both the Passover meal and in the commemoration of the Eucharist, this key of being, as you remember, you're remembered. That's right. You know, That's it, right. The, 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 the thing becomes a new present reality. And so in the remember, if, if sin is kind of God forgetfulness in many ways, that, that, that the antidote is this sort of graced remembering by which we're yes. remembered to Christ and one another. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'm very sympathetic to that. Let's go on to Ephesians. We got another yep. great text. I mean, this is one of those times where sometimes you know the lectionary. It's like, well, all right, you just you let know. it read. I mean, yeah, I'm like, what? yeah, you, you is, just you yeah, just you stand can, up all, and you say, let's have a moment of reflection. All these are great here. Ephesians yeah, I mean, too. I mean, this is the ultimate uh, Augustinian Calvinist text, right? You're dead through the trespasses right. and sins in which you once lived. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I mean, you you know, just as an aside, this was one of the verses that my wife and I chose to have read at our wedding, which is probably the most bizarre um, wedding text the preacher had ever been asked to preach on, and in the context of a wedding, but it just gives you a little better insight maybe i can tell you the most me. bizarre i i always choose it from the <laughs> genesis 29 with leah and, and and um rachel because it's like it's my one wedding sermon so it's because this is every marriage i didn't ma- you wake up this isn't my marriage but the redemption <laughs> that's but, good but the prophets basically all of israel's prophets priests and kings virtually and their israel's messiah comes through leah's womb and not rachel so this the space you make for leah is where that's jesus good. is born there you go Two minutes. That was a 60-second summation of, of uh, but this would well, be the second Paul, most unusual. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's that's where Paul, um, you know, I mean, his entire letter to the Ephesians, you know, is this, as I've been preaching about recently since we've been going through uh, Galatians, is, um, you know, this sort of astonishment at exactly what, how this came about, that God has now fulfilled his promise. And it was such an un unforeseen and, and almost unimaginable way that through the death and resurrection of this of this man, that there is how God would bring people into fellowship um, with him um, and both address their need, as he talks about, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, you who were alienated from God, have now, not by anything you've done, but by his action alone, brought you into relationship with him um, and prepared you for all the things you will now do, which, you know, another another wonderful thing to preach on in that 
is that um, we're not worried that people who hear the gospel will then somehow be uninspired to, um, as it were, do good works. You know, everyone's so worried about the, um, uh, you know, about these supposed people that believe that do not do anything. And so, you know, I, I sit there and I say, listen, guys, you know, God has promised he's prepared these things and we're not really, that's not our concern. Like, this is what Paul is saying. This is what uh, the message of the gospel is that living faith, you know, faith without works is dead, to be sure. But the best way, the only way to bring a dead person to life is not by yelling at him louder and louder. You know, it's to resurrect. And that's, again, back to the remembering and the God, the God forgetfulness is that the by the power of the Spirit, through the through the ministration of the church, you know, the word and sacrament, somehow, uh, and we're living testimony to this despite ourselves, somehow we are— um, reconstituted as people who, in some degree, and increasingly, hopefully, more and more, um, remember ourselves less and remember God more, you know, which would be the, which would be the work of sanctification, or if you wanted to call it that, you know, and I think Paul's, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is like this one extended, uh, you know, sort of like astonished him almost to to the fact that even you who were dead in your trespasses and sins who were following idols and were were um altogether misdirected have now been brought by the power of the spirit through the foolishness as he says in corinthians of what we preach to bring to be brought to new life in christ i mean it's again usually let this one just let this one ride too you know just get a good reader yeah and you know it's interesting because the it's interesting you talk about the remembering because you know my favorite book on Calvin probably I think is still Brian Garish's uh, uh, Grace and Gratitude the subtitle is The Eucharistic Theology of John Calvin and it's not about his theology of the Eucharist exclusively it's about his, the shape of um, how Thanksgiving this this move to from grace to gratitude is, uh, the subtitle of it should also be a kinder gentler Calvin but <laughs> but but I think that's here's a different kind of remembering right like that the maybe the antidote to again it's this grace remembering the antidote to God forgetfulness here you remember just how sinful you were. But in Paul's logic, that doesn't make you despair. It actually right. opens your heart to, right. to I, I, wow, you know, first off, if I, if I could be a Christian who couldn't, and secondly, look right. what God's done for me. And, and, and the way to sort of, I think you're right, stimulate the works of love, as Kierkegaard calls it, is not to yeah, yeah. yell at people, but to remind people of just how loved they've been. Well, what does he talk about the inward deepening, Kierkegaard? I mean, to bring that up, you know, this like in if you go deep within your heart, you're not going to find that's not where the gold is hidden. You know, that's not where the um, like it's more like the labyrinth. That's where the minotaur is, you know, in the middle, in the darkness of your heart. And yet in the midst of the of the redemption wrought, we find in that deepening um, into the pain, you know, pushing on the bruise, as it were, there actually is the commensurate gratitude that then shows forth in acts of love, which if we take love as being defined by First John through what Jesus did, love is synonymous with mercy, you know, that this is love, not that you love God, but he loved you and gave himself as a propitiation, you know, for you. And so if we become sort of propitiatory, I don't want to say that too much, but we become, we become agents of God's love as he has shown us to reflect it, which is through acts of mercy, forgiveness, and uh, that is, in fact, his love. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing, it's an amazingly counterintuitive thing, which I think Paul is what he's keep, he keeps sort of chewing over, you know, and I'm thankful that he has so many letters that have been preserved because we get to see the facets from all these different angles, you know, that, that do encompass a lot of different themes and mot motifs, but they're, they're ultimately all in the service of trying to just 
lay before people as he talks again to the um, Galatians. You know, he says, you who had Christ portrayed, uh, proclaimed before you is publicly crucified for you. Like, this is what we're talking about, guys. Like, you know, don't forget. And I think, as you're right, I think that's a, I think that's a really powerful image that you put yeah, up and the pro Yeah, and the, and the pro-novus, man, like Luther says, you're reading, reading the story of Jesus without the pro-novus. Sure. Yeah, for us. For sure. There's a star waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a star waiting in the sky He's told us not to blow it Cause he knows it's Speaking of Jesus Let's just go Here right. Go. To, let's just go right to the gospel. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, we've got the uh, you know Tim Tebow, John three sixteen, right here. So we've got um, um, we've got you know, and I think the key to this, um, I think the key to to this one, you connect it to just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Then he says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him shall not perish, um, but have everlasting life." I mean, this is this isn't understood to be. I mean, this is correctly understood to be a great summation of the gospel, and I think that it needs to be put into context with the prologue in particular, because you know, the like with the Schleiermacher understanding of sin being for God forgetfulness. Another another image that. Uh, John gives us is the darkness of the world. You know, that the darkness, the people who had stumbled around in darkness have seen a great light. And of course, John plays with these themes, these light and darks a lot. But I think going back to... By the way, can, the, I, just, can I, just, I just interrupt you like for real quick? Yeah. I think you just made me think of something I just want to point out. Sure, sure, is, sure. Is this a good discipline for preachers to like look at the metaphors in scripture? Like look at... I, I, it just struck me as we moved from sort of hearing and remembering to vision to light. And just, it just strikes me that that would do preachers well to just think about metaphors and and and, and the ones that well, are repeating sure. the ones that are repeating and and indwell them a little yeah, bit yeah and i think there yeah and i think there's a certain i mean that's one of the i think that's that's the art of preaching i mean you know we're all practitioners and we're getting better and you know you can look back and sort of there's a deepening in that also but i think that the you know the the way that I appreciate these metaphors is by one remembering that the people to whom they're speaking, albeit different from me in um, technology and language, um, are no different from me in terms of as sort of the, the state before which I stand, or, or the, the 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 posture that I have before the unknown, you know, the hidden God, which is one of fear. I mean, that's what I have. I have one of pain and fear and um, lack of control. You know, this is the, the guilt, fear, and shame that came as a result of sin. And so if that's my connecting point, then what is speaking from these passages in a similar way to the same type person I am as the original hearers were? And so I think that's where everyone understands what darkness and walking around in the darkness is. You know, the problem, I think, for preachers is that they don't appreciate this is the, the second part of this. This uh, passage is what I has been really influential in my own life. Because he says, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. Now, the way that that has infected me is pastorally to realize that that the condemnation under which we all sit is a given for John. It's a given for Jesus, because Jesus didn't say, I've come into the world to further exacerbate the pain of suffering and death. He says, because of suffering and death, the world lies under this condemnation, and God so loved it that he sent me to save it. 
And that has been powerful for me because it takes some of the work that seems to be the preoccupation of many preachers to sort of make you feel your pain. That's totally off the table. So my role is to have somehow allow the scriptures to bring you into contact with the very place of need and suffering with which you then find yourself being read by these passages in the same way that the original hearers were. And I think that's that's the goal. That's 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 kind of the if you're if you wanted to know what my what I'm thinking about after I read these passages and I basically just you know sort of marinate in them throughout the week and then put them together you know Friday and Saturday uh, with some sort of reconnection in my own life to how it is that the darkness seems to overwhelm and yet the light has remained um, you know has remained and is has been erected and and you remember once again all over again. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting there. Like I have two thoughts on this reading that are, I, I don't know if they're connected. Maybe they are my subconsciously. Right. But uh, the first is like, you see John three sixteen at football games, right? Like yeah. I, sometimes I want to be like, what about John three seventeen? How about that? Dale Bruner, his translation is fantastic commentary on the gospel of John. He translates it. You see, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. Oh no. It was to rescue the world through his son. That's good. And so, I, good. so that, and the other thing I think is interesting is Jesus identifies with the serpent being lifted up. And so you have this, in the ancient world, I mean, the serpent, this idea of like the serpent consuming the world, you know, like in, yeah, in yeah. the Epic of Gilgamesh, like these ancient texts where this, this, this serpent idea, which are the authors of Genesis have in the back of their head, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. And so it's interesting that that scene in Lord of the Rings where the hobbits first meet Aragorn. But they, it's Strider, and they say, you know, if he was a devil, if he was a villain, he would look fairer and seem fouler. And so it's interesting when Jesus is lifted, Bart says the whole Gospels can be summed, uh, one lens could be the judge judged in our place. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, the and, judge and the judge. Yeah. And when the He's true the judge, judge and the judged. Yeah. And when the true judge is lifted up, to be judged for us, he looks like the serpent to people. It's mm, good. They, yeah. He's the opposite. He looks right. to the eyes of the flesh, as Paul says in Second Corinthians five. Right? He looks to the eyes of flesh one way, but really, uh, he's right. he, he's not the serpent. He's the one to end the serpent's reign. When that begins, that's the that's the great. I mean, that's amazing. We, I mean, that's why I find myself with Paul the, the astonishment. Like we cannot worship the infinite God until He's condescended to allow us a place, given our own sinfulness, to actually stand before Him, and that was only possible by um, erecting this serpent. You know, Jesus says only possible through this mediation that um, He Himself has taken, which then. I mean, that's why we sing about it, man. You know, that's why we, that's why we preach about it. That's why we care because we, we are in the constant business of remembering ourselves and then by extension, bringing people back into uh, the remembrance of him. Well, it's JD, amazing. blessings as you call people. Scott, to thanks, brother. Um, praise God, man. And thanks, blessings on you and your continued uh, ministry. I love uh, this listening to this podcast and consider a great honor to be a part of it. Oh, we'll have you back. All right, bud. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. 
Thanks again to JD for coming on the podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.